Dear fellow redeemed, especially those also joining us through YouTube, um, if you haven't said hello in the chat, be sure to use that first link in our show notes, bit.ly slash RELC connect to say hi. We consider briefly our reading from Luke chapter 3. On this third Sunday in the season of Advent, the Sunday that is characterized by joy and joyfulness. And as we begin, I think even before we get to talking about joy and talking about John the Baptist welcoming all these people out to the Jordan River, and he welcomes them with that harsh statement, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Like, happy Advent, offspring of vipers. Even before we get to that, we need to have a different concept that we have to talk about just a little bit. It's the idea of something objective versus something subjective. Something objective versus something subjective. And even, you probably have some understanding of this already, and, and that illustration of objective being out here and subjective being in here is very helpful. When we talk about things that are objective, we talk about things that are outside of us, outside of our own personal feelings or the way that we feel about it. We're talking about a statement of fact versus something that is subjective, is how we feel about it. Something subjective maybe includes our perception that may or may not line up with that fact. Something that is subjective is primarily internal and primarily talking about our own reactions. And so objectively, you might say, well, it was 31 degrees outside this morning and I had to scrape my window. Subjectively, you might say, well, it's kind of cold today. Or subjectively, you might say, this is refreshing. I wish it would get a little bit colder, depending on where you're from. Objective versus subjective. And why that matters is because if we're going to talk about joy and talk about John the Baptist standing there at the bank of the Jordan River, that concept of things that are objective and things that are subjective is in the entire background of today's gospel lesson. And it's also in the background of, of the other two readings that we have as well. That these people are coming out to John the Baptist. And in the very, very first voice, very first verses, um, John kept saying to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, who warned you, you brood of vipers? <laughs> who warned you to flee from this coming wrath? And you can see the, the objective statement that there is wrath that is coming. And then the rest of it, the rest of it is the people uh, holding to their own subjective ideas, and John correcting them. That they have come out to him, they have come out with their own ideas, and then John starts correcting their ideas. Because when we talk about things that are objective versus things that are subjective, spiritually speaking, the tension really is between what God says and what I want. Objective statement of fact. What God says, what God's law demands, what God says in his gospel, and the effects and the punishments of God's law. Those things are objective. But as you are, I'm sure, well acquainted with by this point, for every objective statement of God, it's as though there's this own subjective internal interpretation. My reaction to that, 
my feeling that says, well, maybe that isn't fair or God's standard isn't as objectively high and holy as he would imply. For every objective statement of God, there's a subjective reaction. And sometimes that reaction comes from our sinful flesh. Our sinful flesh that says, I don't like the sounds of that, and I don't think that should apply to me. Or sometimes it comes from that heart of faith that rejoices and says, yes, God's word is right, and my Lord is good, and he still intends good for me, even in telling me that I'm sinful, so that he can bring about the spiritual reality of repentance and encourage that spiritual attitude of faith. And that's that objective-subjective comparison is woven all throughout this gospel reading. The very first thing um, John says in verses 7 and 8, that these people objectively recognize that they need to go and hear John. And John says, well, who warned you? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the people, you know, you could see, you could almost see it. Um, The people who aren't the tax collectors and and the soldiers and the sinners, they might think to themselves, but I am. I am producing fruit, subjectively. But if somebody were to look at me from the outside, what does that fruit actually look like? Or the other statement Do not even think of saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, because I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And their concept is that subjectively, I'm good. Abraham is my father. I've got got this Israelite blood flowing through my veins. Um, My parents, grandparents, and great-great-great-great-grandparents have been in the faith for as long as our family tree has been in existence. I'm good. Subjectively. And John corrects their vision and jolts them back to the reality of God's objective reality. Don't think that just because because your father, grandfather, great-great-grandfather was a believer that, that his faith covers you. Because I tell you, God could raise up children for Abraham from these very stones. And so it is a little bit of that objective and subjective comparison where John pulls them outside of of their internal standards and their internal feelings about how they feel about measuring up to God's law. And he says, how do you actually measure up to God's law? And those two points, I think those two points um, are definitely temptations for us today. And you can consider for yourself to what extent they apply to you even today. Because it's so easy, it's quite easy to live in this subjective reality that I know what I'm doing and I know why I want to do it. I know my intention behind my words and my actions. And so I'm doing okay. And I know how much I have to put up with, and I know the pain and the suffering that I carry, and I know how difficult it might be for me on this particular day. And so by my standard, I'm actually a pretty loving person. By my standard, I didn't say those one, two, three things that I could have said. And by my standard, 
It's okay. Subjectively. But if we are to see the joy of Advent, we need to let John's harsh words pull us outside of our subjective ideas into God's objective reality. And that's, I guess that's one of the blessings of, of a fellowship of, of Christians or, um, or other people in your own household who can reflect back to you the things that you have said or the actions that you have left undone. That's one way that, that we are pulled out of our subjective interpretations into reality as it is. When that other person says, but dear friend, even though you refrained from saying this, you still didn't do anything positive. That object of reality, of God's law, isn't just refraining from doing what is evil, but also doing the positive things that are good. And the subjective object of reality even comes out in that second part, um, we have Abraham as our father. And where I've encountered this um, in you know, pretty much everywhere that I've served or attended, well, you know, my, my great-grandfather laid the cornerstone of the church. Um, or my family was one of the four founding members of this church 140 years ago. <laughs> or that idea, well, I went through catechism and I was confirmed, and, and I learned it, and I know it, and I can recite the Apostles' Creed if you prompt me a little bit. We have Abraham as our father. Or, I learned it at one point, so by my standard, I'm good. And I think that one is, is perhaps more prevalent, but certainly more hazardous. That idea that, that our Christian faith is simply a bucket of, of facts and knowledge that I carry around. And every now and then, if I want to demonstrate that I'm a Christian, all I have to do is pull a little bit out of that bucket or let a little bit of that bucket pour out so that people can see it, and then, and then I will feel like, like I am living up to God's law and God's standard. Subjectively, we have Abraham as our father. Subjectively, I was confirmed. And I've, I've been in church, you know, 57% of the time, or <laughs> fill in the blank. Objectively, objectively, the Baptist calls us back, John the Baptist, and he says, Dear friend, you have a Savior who didn't come to rescue you out of the hospital and to restore the little bits of your life that had, um, that had fallen short. You have a Savior who took you out of the morgue and gave you new life. That you have a Savior who didn't come to simply reinforce your own subjective ideas about yourself and make you feel like you've, you're finally measured up. You have a Savior who came and placed himself under God's objective law and kept it completely and fully. You have a Savior who, even though he is from eternity God, and he is a descendant of Abraham, at the same time, you have a Savior who took on the sins of all people so that your standing with God doesn't depend in any way on your performance, on your attendance, on 
your accomplishments, but that it depends entirely on Jesus for you. That this is the Savior we have. The Savior who came to convict our subjectiveness of how easy it is to live within our own hearts and live within our own minds and think that we're doing pretty well. And he came to objectively say, but who are you really? Who are you really? Because that's the one I came for. And that is the Jesus that John the Baptist preached about and pointed to. That is the Jesus that we worship today. A Jesus who came to his people, even though, even though they would have rejected him, and they did. We have a Jesus who came for you and for me, so that with certainty you can say, you know what, I have a Savior who loves me, not because I'm feeling so absolutely loved and that I've got that emotional high today, but because God has objectively said so in his word. I have a Savior who has forgiven me, not because I live each and every day guilt-free, but because God has said in his word, or I have tasted on my tongue the exact forgiveness that God has promised to give. I have a Savior who has promised me hope and a future, a Savior who has promised me joy in all things, because that's the power of his word in my life. That I have a Savior who has continued to bring me into contact with people that I know and people who know me so that I don't spend my time and my, my attention all wrapped up in my own subjective standards and lose sight of God's objective word, the outside of us word that calls us back and corrects even the tiniest little errors that calls us to faith and keeps us in that faith. So that, yes, the attendance here is a good thing, of course. We, I mean, we take attendance and follow up with those that we haven't seen in a while. The attendance here is a good thing because of that promise of our Savior. Our Savior who has promised to be this Emmanuel, who has come to us not, not as the man standing at the shores of the Jordan River, but he's come to us and he's hidden himself in ways that we cannot, in the same way, subjectively comprehend. You think of it that way. That God objectively, that Christ objectively says that his body and blood is present as an objective reality, aside from the fact that it's a miracle that is totally hidden from our human perception. But he pulls our attention outside of ourselves to this unchanging truth and unchanging blessing. Which I suppose finally brings us around to this whole concept of, of joy. And it's often confused with happiness. And it's a subjective-objective distinction again. Because often, you know, if I ask somebody, are you feeling joyful today? And chances are, if you've been here for a few years, you've heard me talk about this before. If I ask somebody, are you feeling joyful today? You might say, well, you know, maybe I am. Or, you know, I'm a little sad about something. I'm a little upset about something. We often confuse joy with happiness. And the way I like to describe this is that Primarily, happiness is our subjective reaction to the things that happen to us. 
Happiness being our own subjective internal idea. Whereas joy is based not in our own hearts, like happiness is. Joy is based on external events, things that are outside of us. Things that are outside of us, and, and therefore they are um, realities that apply to us. And we see that in, all, in the other two lessons as well, where God talks about rejoice and have joy for his people. And then he goes on not to talk about the happy feelings that they would be having, but he talks about the objective facts of God coming to his people and rejoicing over his people. That you and I might be happy or we might be sad, but we can still be joyful. And probably the best example of, of when, uh, to help kind of untangle this a little bit, is, um, is a Christian funeral. At the funeral of a Christian, um, people are sad because they miss their loved one. But they're still joyful because their loved one is with Jesus and safe in heaven. That our reaction or our subjective idea and feelings, that's okay to have those feelings. But recognize it for what it is. That it's your own subjective reaction to a particular detail or event. And that's okay. A funeral, the death of a loved one, is, is a very sad thing. But the death of a Christian, even though it's sad, it's still a joyful thing. Because that Christian has been brought out of a world of sin and death and pain and been given the perfect healing of our Savior and the perfect restoration of life forever with him in heaven. The way I like to illustrate this, and I, uh, I shared this little anecdote with a, with a friend this past week, is um, have you ever seen somebody try to ride an elephant? <laughs> you ever seen somebody try to ride an elephant? Um, the elephant will go where it wants to go. And the rider on top, the best they can do is give suggestions, and eventually the elephant will turn around, right? And that relationship between subjective and objective, that relationship between, I guess, um, our heart and our mind, it's kind of like the rider on the elephant. That very often our emotions are like that elephant that is going to do what it's going to do. And the best we can do is give some suggestions. That we can point to objective realities and we can think things through logically. And eventually that heart, that emotion, that subjective feeling might start turning around. But we suggest and we point back to the objective truth the object of reality of the Word of God, exactly as John does. He calls these people to repentance, and when they come asking him, what should we do, what should we do? He doesn't say, give till it hurts to the tax collectors. He doesn't say um, to the soldiers, just live each day so that you can go to bed with a clean conscience that night. No, he points them back to objective actions that they could take in line with the Word of God. So what does that mean for us? When we talk about this distinction between happiness and joy, and when we talk about this distinction between things that are objective and subjective, 
The reason we do so is so that you and I have a roadmap for understanding our lives. So that you and I have a little bit of a, a lay of the land for how do we deal with <laughs> how do we deal with difficult family at the holidays? How, we, how do we deal with missing somebody that is now an empty spot at the table? How do we deal with the, the pain of life in this world? And sometimes, especially when that pain um, seems even more acute at different points in our lives. And if we look at what John says, or if we look at the readings today, the truth is, and the object of unchanging reality is, that you have a Jesus who has promised to make everything better. You have a Jesus who came for you and for me. And there is a time and a place for those subjective feelings, and the heart is going to do what the heart's going to do sometimes, kind of like an elephant. <laughs> but let's pay attention to what God says, and the promises that he gives. Because over time, that's the exact truth, and that's the exact comfort that he gives to his people that you, dear friend, have been given a place among God's people. You've been given a throne and a place in God's heaven. You've been clothed with the object of righteousness of Jesus. And even this is done objectively by words striking the ear or a taste on the tongue. So that you can say, you know what? At least now I see why I do what I do. And now I see how can I serve those around me? How can I serve those around me with love and good works until the day that Jesus returns? Amen.